welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Founded in 1960 and originally based in Oakland, California, the Raiders are a brand recognised right across the world, a brand that has found its way into popular culture. In fact, in 2009, Ice Cube recorded a song for the Raiders named Raider Nation, the name given to the team's fans. Then, in 2010, Al Davis, who was the principal owner and general manager of the team for 39 years, from 1972 until his death in 2011, took part in a documentary for ESPN's 30 for 30 series titled Straight Out of LA, which mainly focuses on NWA and the effect of the Raiders' image on their persona. A year later, in 2012, Ice Cube wrote another song for the Raiders as part of Pepsi's NFL Anthems campaign, Come and Get It. Ice Cube's and NWA's popularity helped propel the Raiders' brand across the world and embedded it in popular culture. Further, Al Davis coined slogans such as Pride and Poise, Commitment to Excellence and Just Win Baby, all of which are registered trademarks of the team. Going back a few years to 1982, the team departed Oakland to go and play in Los Angeles until the 94 season before returning to Oakland at the start of the 95 season. Fast forward to 2017 and NFL team owners voted nearly unanimously to approve the Raiders' application to relocate to Las Vegas. Nearly three years later, in January 2020, the Raiders moved to Las Vegas and their new home, Allegiant Stadium. It's a little unfair to compare the LA and San Francisco areas to Vegas, as the Raiders weren't the only NFL team in the areas. But in the LA area, there's about 12.5 million people, and in the San Francisco area, there's around about 8 million people. However, in Vegas, there's a bit less than 3 million people, but... About 43 million people visit Vegas each year, and it's essentially to a four-mile stretch. It's an interesting proposition, as you would assume brands aren't really interested in sponsoring the Raiders because of the population of Vegas. So where do the Raiders focus, and what is the uniqueness that they can offer brands? To help answer that question, and of course others, and take us inside sponsorship at the Raiders, is Christian Howard, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships at Las Vegas Raiders. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship and you're listening to episode 122 brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for joining us for another episode and I hope wherever you are in the world you are kicking goals in whatever your role or connection is with sponsorship. It's great to have you listening to another episode. Shout out time and Matt Kramer, Head of Strategic Partnerships at the National Havoc Robotics League. Connected with me on LinkedIn, the NHRL is the world's most competitive and accessible combat robotics league. Builders design and construct remote-controlled machines and fight them head-to-head in one of eight arenas. And I totally love that idea. And Matt connected and he said that he'd been a long-time listener and that it's great to hear from the guests that join us on the show about the wins and the challenges that they face. And he went on to say that listening to the show often feels like a little bit of a support group, which he said is nice. Great to hear from you, Matt. Thanks for connecting. Good luck with the NHRL. I'll be keeping an eye on it for sure. And listeners, if it piques your interest as well, check out the website nhrl.io. The Raiders, as I said, they're a historic brand, a brand that's been around for a long time. People know it and they respect it. It's instantly recognisable and it's definitely an angle that plays into the storytelling of the Raiders' sponsorships. Though the brand is strong and success in Vegas initially has been great, the Raiders aren't a franchise to rest on their laurels. In fact, 
they've set themselves a goal of achieving 100 million in sponsorship revenue. And clearly, that's not going to be a small feat. A driving force toward that goal is Christian Howard, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships at Las Vegas Raiders. Christian spent 24 years at the LA Clippers initially, working his way up from being a ticket sales rep to SVP Marketing Partnerships and Broadcasting before moving to the Raiders in 2016, which was a year before NFL team owners voted nearly unanimously to approve the Raiders' application to relocate to Las Vegas, obviously now where he lives. Here's Christian. Christian, welcome to the show. We normally start off with a few icebreaker questions, but first off, something a little bit different. I just want to set uh, the scene a little bit for what is to come. So I want to start off by asking what your thoughts are on why people head to Vegas. I guess there's two different answers to that. Obviously, here in Las Vegas, it's a destination city, um, and you get about 43 million visitors every year that come here for the obvious reasons, which are uh, gaming, and and by gaming, I mean gambling, world-class cuisine. Um, It's really become um, the entertainment capital of the planet. Um, So those visitors are coming for all those reasons. Now, the people that come to live here, which we're seeing a lot more of as of late, uh, people coming from California and and different areas uh, to live here, it's a different answer, right? For those people, um, it's no state income tax. Um, It's surprisingly, because there's a a, a perception that, oh, my God, it's ridiculously hot all the time. You know, look, it's three months of very, very hot weather. I'm not going to kid you. But the rest of the year, the weather is spectacular. Um, So... The people that are coming here for those reasons are, are, are very different. They're coming here to live here, to settle down in, in some of the outer areas out offside the Strip. The Strip is four miles long, and that's where all the, the tourists and visitors go. And then outside of that, you've got towns and cities like Henderson, North Vegas, Summerlin, or let's say the locals live. Excellent. And I just wanted to set the scene a little bit there because it is a unique situation where the franchise is located. So as I did mention, we always start the show with a few icebreaker questions just to sort of warm up, have a little bit of fun. And for the listeners, just to get to know you a little bit, start you off on an, on an easy couple of questions. Your first one is, if someone is visiting Vegas, what does a perfect day look like for them? Give us an itinerary. I'm assuming you're you're taking me from a tourist. If I'm a tourist coming here uh, for a weekend, when I lived in Cali, and I was in Cali for about 27 years in Southern Cal, um, we, we came here frequently. I was I was significantly younger then, and 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 had a lot of fun. Uh, so I'll tell you what that looked like. We we'd drive out on a Friday morning. Uh, we'd stop right on the state line. There's a golf course there called Prim Valley. Uh, we we'd shoot around the golf there. Uh, then we would drive in, check into a hotel, usually hit dinner, and then uh, you're hitting the tables and going out and, and gaming uh, that night. Uh, Saturday is probably a lot of pool time, recovering, uh, sitting out by the pool, soaking up the sun. Uh, and then usually, if uh, if you're being if you're being smart, you're catching a show uh, before you hit the town again uh, at, at uh, on Saturday night. Um, Sunday is a lot of recovery and uh, preparing for the drive home. <laughs> and then getting the frights about going back to work or school on Monday. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Smart ones take Monday off, but yes. <laughs> Very good. As I mentioned to the listeners in the introduction, you spent 26 years at the Clippers. You started off as a ticket sales rep before 
climbing the ranks and ascending to SVP marketing partnerships and broadcasting, which was you were in that role for about 16 years. A lot of people there would have probably thought that you were just part of the furniture, a permanent fixture. How did you know it was time to move, though? I was there 25 years total, and uh, and you nailed it. Six months, uh, I went to Arizona State, and six months out of Arizona State, I was working for a company called NCR, and they're still around today, but they've changed very, very, uh, they, they're very different from what they were then. After uh, six months there, I got a gig at the Clips selling season tickets. My girlfriend at the time was also looking for a job in California and wound up getting a job in her major uh, which was fashion merchandising, uh, she got a job at the same time. So we packed up and moved to uh, Southern California. Uh, we were in Redondo Beach for 27 years total. Um, again, I was at the Clips for 25. And I like to joke and say that um, I left the Clips the same way I, I leave bars sometimes. Uh, I left right when they kicked me out. Um, I, uh, we had an ownership change, which was highly publicized, um, and with new ownership and new president and new leadership, uh, they went in a different direction. And I, uh, I took a nice little, I'm going to call it a sabbatical and, uh, and, and got, uh, got back to myself for about a year and a half before I got back into, uh, into sports. Well, as you get back into sports, obviously a lot of the skills and expertise from your time at the Clippers, they are directly transferable to your role at the Raiders now. But what aspects of the Raiders role that you're in now might surprise some as being really different in the NFL as opposed to the NBA? I think the biggest difference for me as I saw it was when you're in the NBA, you you feel like you're the biggest thing in town. Um, and at the time when I was at the Clips, almost the entire time I was there, there was no NFL team in um, in Southern California. Uh, so we were one of the big things. Uh, once you get into the NFL, you realize that the NFL in the United States is not the 800-pound gorilla on the block. It's the 8,000-pound gorilla on the block. Um, it is massive. And while... A lot of the things you do are very similar. The size and scope is different. Um, just the sheer numbers as far as dollars that we're doing partnership-wise compared to the NBA, was, it was significantly different. And that, that was the biggest thing I felt was like, wow, this is, this is the big leagues. <laughs> For those that aren't familiar with the Raiders having gone through multiple relocations over the journey, talk us through, firstly, the Oakland, LA, Oakland moves, and then why the franchise decided to move to Vegas. The Raiders have a, a, a pretty rich history on, on a lot of fronts. One of the really good things is we were a team that was around very early, right? So when the NFL was really starting to get prominence and start being televised, we were one of the few teams and, and we were seen on TV a lot um, across the country. So that's how you come across Raider fans really in any part of the United States you go to, you're going to run into some Raider fans. Now, the true heart of Raider Nation is is obviously the Southwest out here with California, both both North and South, um, obviously Nevada, Utah, 
probably part of northern Arizona. Um, but our history started, we, we, we were in Oakland, um, and then we had, a, again, well-publicized move down to L.A. We had a lot of success when we were in L.A. as far as winning championships. Um, we moved back to Oakland, um, and we were in the Coliseum. Um, and, and the funny part of the story is we were in the Coliseum, and we were looking at that point, Oakland Coliseum, excuse me, and we were looking to um, – to move back to Los Angeles. And, and, and there was a lot of conversations around new buildings with the NFL. Um, and what happened eventually was the Rams wound up getting the NFL's approval to move to LA. Um, once that happened, it was obvious we, we weren't going to move there. The Rams were going to choose another team that could share the building. They were never going to choose us. It was, we're, we cast too big of a shadow, let's say. So we didn't get LA. Um, and at the time I was interviewing for this position because I was living in LA and they thought they were coming to LA and like, Hey, this is going to be perfect. So when it didn't happen, we kind of had the, all right, well, never mind. Uh, and, and we, we stopped talking. And then very shortly after, I mean, it was a while ago, so I don't remember whether it was a month or, or a little bit more, but, um, the Raiders reached back out again and said, well, what do you think about Las Vegas? Um, I was not interested in moving to Oakland, but I was interested in the Vegas opportunity. Um, it moved very quickly. And, um, you know, after uh, some time, we were approved to move to Las Vegas. And, and I have said very often, I, I'm glad we didn't get what we wanted. We, we wanted to move to L.A. That was the first thing. And. I think that us in this market is is so much of a better situation than if we had moved to LA. It really is. So thank goodness we didn't get what we wanted, I like to say. <laughs> Sports fans are often known for their loyalty, and often that's what makes sponsorship really attractive to brands, that, that loyalty that fans show to a team. So I'm curious about how the move went down with fans did you did you lose many fans and engagement and have to replace them with locals or is there, as you said before the Raider Nation a really loyal bunch of people the answer to your question is yes like everything right so in in northern cal the fans were they were upset they they were upset that the team was leaving i think a lot of the fans understood why i mean the coliseum the oakland coliseum is not an updated facility and that I'm being very, very kind there. Um, and we, we tried hard to get a facility, a deal done in Oakland and just couldn't get it done. Um, so I think while the fans were upset that we were leaving Oakland or Northern California, a lot of them understood why the other part is we were moving to Las Vegas. We weren't moving to Canada or Maine, like super far away. We we're moving to Las Vegas, which is obviously a very sought after destination that most of those people are probably going to anyway. So now you're just going to turn your weekend into a, a little bit longer and, and, and come to a game. Um, for the second part, which is Southern California, where our fan base is enormous, was even better for them. Because instead of it being a six-hour drive from L.A. to Oakland, now it's a four-hour drive from L.A. to Vegas or a 45-minute flight. Um, so our Southern California fan base was, frankly, ecstatic. 
It's a little unfair to compare because in the LA and San Francisco areas, you weren't the only team, but in the LA area, there's about 12.5 million people. And in the San Francisco area, there's around about 8 million people. However, in Vegas, there is a bit less than about 3 million people. But as you mentioned before, there's about 43 million people who visit Vegas each year, essentially, and as you outlined, a four-mile stretch where all the tourists go for all of the fun. Brands, I imagine, aren't interested in sponsoring the Raiders because of the population of Vegas. So where are you focusing and what is the the uniqueness that you position to them when you're having conversations about coming on board? It is, without a doubt, the most unique city uh, I'm a New Yorker, so I would never say best, right? I'm a New Yorker. I'm always going to say New York is the best city in uh, in the United States. But um, Vegas is clearly the most unique, right? You have a population somewhere around two and a half million, and you've got 43 million people coming in to, like you said, a four-mile stretch. So it's very, very different than, than anywhere else. When we were originally having conversations with with brands when the building was just a shovel in the ground, um, we, we focused on four things that were really converging together to make this, let's say, project the most unique ever. Right? You you had a iconic iconic brand in the Raiders, right? A, a, a strong team brand. You had the biggest sports property in the United States in the NFL, right? The NFL Shield. So those two things coming together, along with a brand new building, right? This state-of-the-art um, Allegiant Stadium that we have here. And probably the most unique part was the city. Like, th- there hadn't been... Now, the Knights had been here, the Golden Knights, the hockey team had come a little bit earlier. But before them, this city was untapped with sports. Um, so it was so, so unique. So the city, I think, was such an important aspect of what was attractive to any brands or partners, right? I always like to say that Las Vegas didn't need uh, the Raiders. They were doing fine without us, right? Um, what they did need, though, was a a, a large-scale venue, right? And, and our 65,000-seat Allegiant Stadium is – there's nothing like it here in Las Vegas. There's a lot of buildings that are between 12,000 seats and 20,000 seats, but there's nothing – to the size that that we that we brought to it. Um, sorry, I went off track a little bit, but but back to the point as far as the brands. Yeah, we we were we. I would say that the focus of most of the brands that are partnering with us is probably a 75, 25, like twenty five percent of its focus locally here. That there is a a local um, fan base and a local population here, and, and I'd say seventy five is is very aware that we are not only a national destination, but an international destination where people are coming in and their brands are going to be seen by, frankly, everyone around the world. So talk us through those brands, that portfolio. What sort of brands do you have in the portfolio at the moment? I know that everybody thinks you probably have a deal with every single casino on the strip, which which is, which is not correct. Um, there are some major uh, casino partners that own multiple, uh, properties on the strip, right? So MGM is one of our partners. MGM has MGM. They have Mandalay Bay. They have Excalibur. They have the Luxor. 
They have the Cosmo, Aria, Bellagio. So they have an enormous portfolio of properties. So we have a deal with MGM. We have a deal in all their properties. We have a deal with Caesars, which is, again, all of their properties. Uh, we also have a deal with Wynn. Uh, those are uh, three of our casinos. And then we just did a new deal very recently with Boyd Gaming, who is a local uh, gaming property that has multiple locations off the strip. So they really don't have like on Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, it's more of a locals casino. Um, and they have multiple here in Las Vegas. Um, those are our casino partners, right? Um, we have a casino partner in California, in Southern California, in uh, San Manuel, Yamava. And then we have a casino partner attached to our um, team headquarters where I am right now, and it's called the M. So we have a total of six casino partners, which out of our 120 partners, it's not half of them or 75% of them, which most people think. And and then we we you know we're we're looking at a, a lot of um, what most teams have right we've got it we've got a couple of auto partners uh, Ford as well as Karma Auto which is a, a hybrid car a, a luxury automobile Coca Cola is our um, is our soft drink partner um, we have a partnership with Gatorade we have a partnership our our two beers are Modelo and Coors Light. Um, we have multiple spirit partners because, yes, I will say that um, Las Vegas is a place when people come here and come to the game, they want to have a little fun. So uh, we do probably have about 10 spirit partners as well. Very good. And talking about those brands, those partners, are you able to talk us through maybe one of your newest partners that's come on board in terms of specifically why that brand came on board, looking at what they're looking to achieve out of the partnership and what properties their partnership includes to help them achieve those goals? I'll actually use the one that we just wrapped up, I guess it's three weeks, a month ago now, is Boyd Gaming. So Boyd has, uh, I'm going off of memory, I think they probably have about six properties locally um, that are local casinos. Um, they are very much... Um, very much interested in using our brand um, and our marks and logos um, to highlight the casinos and bring locals in. So if you're a local here who's living in Las Vegas and you like to go out on Friday night and, and go do some, have dinner and go play some video poker, I'm, I'm making it up. Um, they're, they're vying for your attention and, and they really feel as do we that if they're the, if they're an official casino of the Raiders and you go there and you play there and because you're playing there, there's Raiders branding, there's Raider opportunities to win Raiders prizes, et cetera. That is something that will will move the needle for them to get those locals into the casino. Very good. I just wanted to circle back around to the point that you made before about those four things that you focus on when you're speaking to sponsors. And the first one you mentioned was being an iconic brand rightly so the the Raiders are a historic brand a brand that's been around for a very long time people instantly know it recognize it respect it can you expand on how that plays into your storytelling when you're trying to sell sponsorships because I imagine it's not just running around saying oh we're an iconic brand you should sign with us it's a good point and, and I come from and I want to be careful as I approach this 
I, I come from a different team where it wasn't that way, right? Like the Clippers were not a team that had a rich history of success or fandom, let's call it, uh, around the United States. So it, it was definitely something for us to focus on. We have not been super successful as of late, right? Like that that's not a secret. Um, but our history and the fact that we have won three Super Bowls um, gives credibility, right? It, it gives credibility. And I think beyond even that, you had mentioned it, the brand is so recognizable. Um, it, it's one of, you know, I, I would say it's, I'm going to go top 10 in sports. It, in, I say locally in the United States, right? You've got, you've got the Yankees, you've got the Cowboys, right? You've got some of those ones that when you see it immediately, no matter what your age is, right? If you're an older person or if you're a younger person, you, you know what it is. Um, so that's helpful as far as, as far as credibility, right? As far as credibility that knowing that we've been here, we've been around, um, and and we are a respected brand, I guess is the right way I'd say it. It's an interesting point you make about instantly recognizable logos, because that's what graphic designers are always trying to do, create instantly recognizable logos that there's a whole lot of value attached to it and, and storytelling and history and all those sorts of things. But as you were talking and listeners, I can see the, the Yankees hat on the shelf on the background of Christian's office. But logos like that, logos like the Raiders, it occurs to me that they actually end up transcending sort of out of sports and they become part of fashion and popular culture. So you will see kids that have probably never even seen a Raiders game wearing a Raiders hat around in countries where there's not even NFL being played. For, for sure. And, and the one that comes to mind even more so than the Raiders, I think we'd be, you know, on this list, but, but obviously below when Jordan was playing for the bulls, I mean, the bulls logo was in every country you could think of. Right. I mean, it was, it transcended everything. Um, the Raiders logo back in the day in LA, when it really became part of hip hop culture, like it was, it, it transcended sport into fashion. Like it was, it was fashion at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it, it has helped us to really establish ourselves um, being, being one of those uh, brands that, that, that people instantly recognize or adapt to. And it would be easy to sort of be in cruise control, rest on your laurels a little bit, an iconic brand, you've made it, you can play off that for a very long time. There's a lot of equity in that. But when you and I first started talking about you coming on the show and having a chat, you mentioned to me that the Raiders have a goal of achieving 100 million US dollars in sponsorship revenue. Now, that's a pretty big goal. Is that, I'm curious, is that driven by a commercial reality? For example, we've got a really high cost base, we need to increase income, or is that really about pushing yourself to be even better as an organization? I guess the answer is both, right? You build a new building, You've got a lot of loans to pay back, and uh, you know there's there's a lot of things that we need to generate revenue, right? Every team needs to generate revenue, but really it's about hitting a mark that is, you know, the, this is so cliche, but but it's the Mount Everest, right, in, in sports, right? And there are very 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 few teams in the four major sports, uh, five if you count uh, if you count MLS, that have gotten to that mark. Um, it is, it, it is, uh, a very, very 
difficult task to get to that number. Um, so it is something that we really have focused on over the last couple of years, right, as a stretch goal that we knew that hopefully if things got where we thought they could get to, um, that we would be able to hit that, um, I guess it's nine-figure mark, by the end of um, this season. One of my little favorite sayings I've got, particularly when I'm talking to kids and I help out with my young fellas' uh, soccer team, I say to them, if your goal doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. $100 million in sponsorship, US dollars, that would scare me. I've worked in sales before. I've never had a target like that. But anytime there's a target set, it's not just business as usual. Okay, well, we'll just keep going. We will get there. We will, we will make it. So with that goal in mind, $100 million US in sponsorship revenue, when you set it, how did you go about having to look at the, the sponsorship portfolio differently? Was it a case of just trying to increase everybody by a certain percentage because that would take you over the line? Or were there areas that you identified growth or, or did you approach it some other way? I agree with you on the on the goal thing, and uh, you said you, you you work with the lads in soccer, so we're we're a big soccer family. My family, my younger one, plays for UNLV, the college out here, um, and he has a goal and has had a goal since he was. I remember him doing doing. I mean, it had to be like third grade, maybe even before. But let's say it was third grade, and they had to go in for career day and dress what they wanted to do. So there was kids who were astronauts and doctors and all that. And my kid showed up in soccer gear and said, he's going to be a professional soccer player. So um, the goal scare, I'm sure it was intimidating for him. It was definitely scary for us, but uh, he's one step away. So we're we're hopeful he'll get there. Um, But I love that. I love that. Um, Yeah. When we looked at it, it was a couple of seasons ago. We knew it would take us time. It wasn't like, Hey, let's do this tomorrow. Um, And we knew for us, it was going to take us hitting multiple, let's let, let's call them multiple home runs, right? Let, we'll use a baseball analogy. Um, we weren't in a position where like, oh, all right, we just hit a couple of doubles and we're there. Uh, it, it was, we're going to have to hit several home runs and then fill the space with, with doubles and singles and maybe even a bunt here and there. Um, but But we needed a few big shots to get it done. Um, so we definitely have been, since this project opened, we have been hunting elephants. Like we're we're not, we're not hunting raccoons. We're we're out there looking for big, large deals. Um, and that's what has helped us, um, get to the precipice of that goal. Just staying on that goal for one more question, Christian, are there some properties you have that you think are a little undervalued by brands, i.e. the things that you think can provide heaps of value for a brand, but they don't really generate much interest from brands or they aren't really considered? As far as like different assets that you have that in your mind you see as like, oh man, that's that's really valuable. I don't know why we're not getting bites on that or we're not getting hits on that for sure. And, and I think any, any team, any property has that. Um, and look, at some point that's on us, right? If, if we see that value in it, we have to, we have to convey that to the potential partner. Um, you know, sometimes, 
sometimes you have to help them see the forest through the trees. They may want something over here and you're like, hey, that that's cool and shiny, but it's not it, it's not the big value that you guys uh, w- would see if you went in a different direction. I've got another saying that I like to, to, to share with people. It feels like sometimes you need to cuddle them with one arm and slap them with the other so they can see the value of that property that you've got. Yeah, I remember my clips days, specifically the courtside signage. We were one of the first teams to do courtside signage, believe it or not. Um, and, and just the television value of it was so tremendous. Uh, you know, at some point you're like, don't worry how many games we lost. Don't worry what our record is. <laughs> this is on TV all the time. This is great. So yeah, there, there's, it's an education process, I guess you say. Very good. Moving to data, it, it's such an important part of partnerships these days. And there is usually from all sides, a, a real commitment to use data to help shape a partnership as opposed to simply reporting back on what was delivered. Yes, we met the the, the contract deliverables. Talk to us about what role data plays and how you use it to bring it to life and to help firstly sell partnerships, but then go on to manage and deliver them. I guess this is a function of my age that I can say this, that you know I, I go back and, and a while data wasn't really a thing. Now we have a data and analytics team here that is great for us to use and rely on. Obviously, with the digital age and and social media, everything is measurable, right? Everything, impressions, reach, all of that is measurable. So we do have a heavy focus on making sure that we are delivering those things. Uh, Our analytics team and our data team can help us set expectations and and goals um and then being able to as you were saying like hey you don't just say we delivered this what you can say is it had this many impressions it had this much reach um it allows engagement it allows us to show numbers to show it like hey look it's working right like it's very hard in our business to have 100 percent direct roi you know hey modello you spent this amount of money with us and it sold exactly, you know, 2 million beers, 2 million and 800,000 beers. Uh, you can never get to that, that point. Um, but, but the data and the analytics that we're using now is helping us justify, if you will, partnerships. As you said, the data also helps you show that things are working. So let's talk about another thing that's worked well. What's been your favorite activation at the Raiders so far? What was it? Why do you think it was so good? There are so many big ones, right? Like big things, but I'll tell you two. I'll give you two quick ones. We did a deal uh, with Ford. It It was early. It was one of our first deals, and it was driven both locally um, by a local dealer um, as well as through um, Ford Corporate in Detroit. Um, but the local dealer, a guy named Gary Ackerman, who's just a amazing dude, um, he has been so engaged with us and the partnership that at some point, and I know this is going to sound funny because we're the Raiders and one of our big rivals are, are, are the Denver Broncos, um, but Gary got, uh, through his connections, got one of the very early, one of the first Broncos to roll off the assembly line. And we got it. We, we, I'm not saying we, they, they got it. They raiderized it, right? 
jacked it up, big tires, put Raider logos on it. It was super cool. And we ran it across the stage at the Barrett Jackson auction here in Las Vegas. And it was a charity um, auction. So half of the uh, proceeds went to his foundation and half the proceeds went to the Raider Foundation. Um, and it was a tremendous success. Uh, we, the Bronco, which, you know, th they're going way over sticker price because they're so hard to get uh, right now. So that was even even a bigger situation. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it went for 300,000, uh, which was great. And we split that money, half the money went to our foundation, half the money went to his, but it was just such a great partnership um, and a collaboration. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that one. It was fun. Um, the other one I will say is we have a partnership with a credit union. Uh, it's called America First Credit Union. And as part of uh, our partnership with them, we do a program and it's called uh, the Small Business Showcase. Basically, local businesses can submit and they basically we get some probably get, I don't know, probably around 100 local businesses that get through the process. They get vetted out. We get down to probably 10, I think. We have a judging panel and then one is selected and that small business that wins wins a partnership with the Raiders, which is clearly something that they could never afford um, if in, in real life, I guess you would say. Um, but they're given, if they win the small business showcase, they're given a, uh, a partnership with the Raiders. That includes assets like signage, a print ad in our magazine, uh, different things of that nature, which is, it's just really cool because you're getting these small business owners who have an opportunity to interact with the Raiders and get signage at the Raiders. And it's just cool. I mean, it, 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 I, I, sorry to be so undescriptive, but it's the only word I can really use. It's just, it's awesome. It's, it's just a great thing. Yeah. I really like that one. I haven't heard of anything like that before. That's really, really unique. And, and I, and I can imagine that each year there's a lot of buzz that, that, that builds around that. And, and as you go through the process and, I also like the one about the auction as well. The money going to the foundation creates a lot of media hype, but it also has a really, really good outcome for people in the community. So I wanted to sort of circle back around to that because you obviously have a community department. Tell us about what their focus is because it isn't just about sponsorship, but then also about how your work and your role intersects and, and interacts with them. As I would imagine most teams do, we have a partnership department, we have a community relations department, and then we have a foundation department, right? So all three are separate, um, but yet all three will work together. Uh, our community department right now has certain pillars that they focus on, right? So, so one is growing the game and uh, growing the game of football. So, you know, whenever we can interact in the community to help grow the game of football, we 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 are out there and taking part. Um, youth development. Uh, is another one. Um, and then military and veterans uh, are something that we support heavily as well. So there are different things like the community group will be out there doing different community things throughout the year. Um, but then there are ones that we collab with that involve our partners. Allegiant Airlines is is heavily involved in the, uh, in the military. Um, so is Credit One, so is Ford. Um, credit one is our, our credit card company. 
So all of them are focused on community. Uh, we've got separate partners that are more involved with like our flag football program that we have out at the schools. And there you've got people like Gatorade and Frito-Lay that are involved. Um, so they're doing good on their own, but then there are other programs where we work together with them to help enhance it. In a similar vein, I know that sustainability is a big focus and that you are pushing to be league certified on that front. Firstly, talk us through what league certified means, what it entails, and and let us know if there is much interest from brands and partners on that front and then ultimately how they activate around sustainability with the Raiders. It's lead certified. And as far as the specifics, it you're you're out of my depth. That that's over my head as well. Uh, I, I do know that our building is pushing to to do that, and it, it focuses obviously around um, sustainability. It focuses around electricity use. It focuses on especially out here water usage, um, and I say especially out here, being in Nevada, being in the desert, um, that's an important part. Uh, there are partners that are focused on that. We're, we're, we're having conversations with the Water Authority um, about a partnership. Um, the Water Authority are the people here locally in, in Las Vegas and Nevada who are, are tasked with making sure we all have water going forward um, and trying to make sure we're conserving and the usage is correct. Um, so there, there is a lot of – I, I, I kind of liken the sustainability uh, platform now to what – the internet was 10 years ago where people know they want to be involved and help. They just don't know a lot about it yet. And, and you can put, you can put us in that category as well. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to understand it. It's a buzzword that everybody use uses, but again, it, it, it is, it's real and we want to figure it out. It's just an evolution. I think that we're going through now. It's always amazing to have people like you on the show and talk about all the positive things that are happening within an organization, but we know life isn't perfect. Things don't always go well. So I've got a little bit of a prickly one for you. Can you share a time or an example when a partnership wasn't going smoothly and you had to really focus on it and, and address it? What was happening and how did you get through it? Wow. You don't have enough time for this one. <laughs> there's, there's always a lot of those. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple. I'll start with the first one. Um, we had an agreement. We had an, we had a signed agreement with a partner, and this was before the building was built. So it was, it was during construction, um, and it was a very large partnership. Um, and we, we did our homework and uh, checked to make sure that everything was going good with this partner, with, with other deals, with other leagues. Um, and then as we got close to actual construction, signage going up, all those types of things, things started to get a little wonky. And uh, we, you know, we, we needed some assurances that everything was going to be okay. And we really never got those assurances. Um, so we wound up terminating the agreement. Um, and then after our termination, you started to see a lot of issues with this same company, um, around other leagues and around the country. So I, I like to think, even though it's very hard, right? We had a large deal. We did not want to see it go away. Um, but I do think in the end we dodged a bullet, 
So we, we really kind of were smart enough to get ourselves out of the way, even though when it's a big deal like that, you really don't want to, uh, you want to do everything you can to keep it. Uh, it, I, I think we, I think we got out of a, a, a bad situation before, uh, before it became really bad. So, so that's one, uh, a little bit different than your question, but, but that one popped right into my head. As far as the other ones, I'll, I'll give you a general speed bump that we have here a lot with the Raiders. We, we talked earlier about how we are a very iconic brand and how we've been around. We're also very, because of that and because of our, for, for all intents and purposes, single, single ownership, we are very conservative very conservative. And and a lot of people are surprised by that because our old history, when you look back at our history, when we were winning Super Bowls, you look back and the Raiders were the Raiders and rah, you know what I mean? And we were like, we the, the, the I'm not saying we did. Um, I would never say that, but if you talk to or see some of the other players, we were dirty and we were mean and, but we are extremely conservative um, when it comes to use of our marks and the aesthetics of the building. Um, so we did have a lot of work to do with our partners to massage, you know, what color the sign was going to be. And, hey, we want to use your logo for this. Oh, you can't use our logo for that. So there was, there. there's no one particular one. There's a lot of them <laughs> and it's the same thing. And that, and that is really the same thing. We're very conservative about our, our marks and our building aesthetics. Very good. Love those examples. Sure, You love them. I don't love them. I had to deal with all of them. <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for the chat. If people want to get in touch, connect with you, maybe keep the conversation going or find out more about what the Raiders are doing in the sponsorship and partnership space, what can they do? Where can they go? The best place to do that would be obviously our website, which is Raiders.com. What about connecting with you on LinkedIn? Are you up for that? I follow LinkedIn. I'm not great at the messaging. It just takes me longer, but yes, that's fine. Excellent. Very good. Christian Howard, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at the Las Vegas Raiders. Absolute pleasure, man. I enjoyed chatting with you. Well, $100 million in sponsorship revenue is a huge goal, but one that the Raiders are well-placed to achieve. I love that chat with Christian, and I love some of the innovative ideas to sponsorship activation, especially the ones where it isn't just about big brands and big exposure. You can connect with Christian on LinkedIn, even though he said it might take him a while to get back to you. Just search for Christian Howard. That's H-O-W-A-R-D. And, of course, you can follow the Raiders at Raiders.com. Finally, if you'd like a shout-out, please keep them coming as it makes me happy. Or if you just want to connect and say hi, I'm totally up for that as well. I'd love to hear from you, just like Matt did, and shared a bit about what he's working on. I get a real kick out of it, so please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 122. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn. 